Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's episode of The Fourth Leg, a tabletop gaming show giving new GMs a leg to stand on. My name is Hunter, I am your host and editor, and I am joined by our two normal hosts, Joe and Kelsey. Say hi, normal hosts. Hi, normal hosts. And we're right back at it again. (laughs) There we go. All is right with the world. (laughs) No change up in the intro today, except... Our guest, who is the lovely Nick Robertson. Nick, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what you do? Yeah. Hi. I will be the abnormal host for the day. Ooh. <laughs> well, the first failing was Hunter assumed that any of us were normal. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, it, I'll be the uh, non-habitual host. Let's go with that. There you a go. little bit different. Cool. My name is Nick. I am a longtime game master, writer, uh, I'm the GM for a podcast called Tabletop Squadron, which is a Star Wars actual play that uses the Edge of the Empire dice system. Nice. I am the GM for a newer show called A Night of Shreds and Patches, Akosep. I describe it as a s- emotional diesel punk road trip with a giant robot. Uh, that uses the Genesis system. That one's really fun. That one is a little different from most APs in that our attempt is to blend the line between audio drama and actual play. That's the uh, the highfalutin version. Basically, we get really dramatic with it. Oh, you, you um, did your radio mm-hmm. voice there. Oh, thank you. It. Yeah. It, it only comes in little like fits and starts. And then I'm also a cast member on the Orpheus Protocol, which is a... Sort of a Cthulhu-y existential horror podcast if that was being controlled by the CIA. It's got a lot of hottie uh, hottie bore, body horror. Uh, That one's a lot darker. (laughs) And also a lot of hottie bore. You had me for a second, and then you you almost tricked me. (laughs) My uh, my middle school mind peaked, definitely. Yeah, Uh, but that that one's a lot of fun, too. And that one is also run in a, the, I think it's called the Blood and Breath system, but it's... uh, I've never heard of that one. Yeah, it's because it was made for this AP. And, oh, very cool. Uh, it recently oh, su- amazing. successfully kickstarted, and uh, they're working on fulfillment right now because turns out logistics are a problem lately. Uh, what? Yes. Yes, they are. I, what do you I, mean? I, that messed with my Kickstarter last year. It is not mm-hmm. fun. Mm-mm. But it, it has its own game system, which is really, really cool. It's one of my favorites. So That's those really awesome. are three places you can find me as far as projects go. I'm also working on making a video game, but that probably won't launch until like October-ish. And if by putting it out in the world, you're the first people to hear that on a recording. So maybe it will actually happen. We'll see. Well, we'll be sure to hold you to that. Yeah. And, and let's pull another hat for Nick to wear. What else do you do? <laughs> yeah, I do have, yeah, I have, I, I keep a lot of irons in the fire because if I'm not busy all the time, I'll think about like life. Can't do that. Got to keep moving. Just doom scroll <laughs> for an hour. Or yeah. you'll think about hottie borer. Yeah, hottie yeah. borer, also a problem. Is that going to be the running gag for this episode? Oh, Probably. First first thought that came to my mind when I heard hottie borer was uh, Cthulhu in apple bottom jeans. That's very good. <laughs> okay. That, that is a place you could go, I suppose. <laughs> I was thinking of like a sexy guy driving a giant drill for my Exactly. Like See, now borer. we're talking. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's where I was at. That's just Gurren Lagan, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. That, I am now going to call that show that. Yeah. Body bore. So, I don't spoiler, know. The characters in that show are pretty... Uh, spoiler alert. The sexy guy doesn't drive the, the giant drill for a long time. 
Oh, spoilers. <laughs> it's a, it's a how old now? 10 years old or so? Yeah, well, I think yeah. a little more. Yeah, yeah but funnily enough, I think, I think that was the first and only episode so far of Gurren Lagann that I've ever seen. <laughs> oh. Yeah. It's a good show. It's oh, fun. It's what I've heard. I just haven't <laughs> seen it all the way through yet. <laughs> all right. For our fun fact today, we've got, I, I think, a pretty fun, fun, fun fact. That's a sentence that makes sense. Yes. Uh, <laughs> perfect sense. <laughs> today... We're going to be telling you our, in our opinion, the best worst movie ever made. So these are like the movies that are so bad they're good. Oh, man. And uh, our favorite ones of those. And I guess I'll invite Kelsey to kick us off today. <laughs> it's so hard to pick just one because I mentioned this before we started recording. I've been binging a lot of Mystery Science Theater 3000 lately. And I gotta say, right now it's kind of a tie. It's a three-way tie between Prince of Space, Space Mutiny, and The Puma Man. These are all movies that I have never heard of, and I think that's fantastic. I think I've heard of Puma Man through MST3K, but that's it. Uh, oh, yeah. Puma Man, once once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. It's hilarious. <laughs> hilarious <Lovely>. awkward. <laughs> All right, Joe, your best worst movie. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna paint you a picture. Sit back in your chair, everyone. Oh please! Uh, if you're please. not, if done. I sit back in my chair, it'll ruin the recording. <laughs> <laughs> so the year was 1991, and Charles Lee Ray has attempted to murder Andy Barclay not once but twice already, and Chucky is reforged in a garbage uh, intro sequence, <laughs> and. Goes to hunt him down in a military camp. Uh, so I am, of course, referring to 1991's Child's Play 3, uh, which is a pretty pretty awful movie, like in the grand scheme of things. Uh, Child's Play 1 at least teases you with the idea that the child could have actually hurt someone for about 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. But Child's Play 3 is really interesting to me in a slasher perspective because it does start to toy with the idea and the concepts that Wes Craven really brings to life in Scream as it really kind of like turns the slasher stuff on its head. Uh, most notably, there's a scene where Chucky is sneaking up on somebody in the barbershop with this big military like combat knife and he's like, oh yeah, it's, it's about to happen. You, you know, right? Mm -hmm. But the guy turns around and he's an older guy because he's a barber and he like freaks out and he has a heart attack and dies right in front of him. <laughs> and literally Chucky like looks at the he looks at the screen and he's like you gotta be fucking kidding me perfect and it's it, it's one of those like brilliant moments in cinema where we started to turn the corner in a genre uh, I'm not gonna say that this was the first film to ever do you know to like flip slasher on its head but it right. didn't take itself so seriously you know it's the third movie in the series and it's just like yeah you know what we're gonna have fun we're gonna make a slasher movie and some of that stuff is going to spill over into stuff like Scream and Scary Movie and, and things like that. So it was a really like interesting moment in film to me. Kind of made me flash back to, I don't remember which Nightmare on Elm Street movie this was, but it was the one with Freddie Mercury and sunglasses. You mean Freddie Krueger? Freddy Krueger. That's what I meant. Yeah, I was oh. going to say different. I would watch a Nightmare different on Elm Street guy, with but Mercury. I would watch a I I would watch a Nightmare on Elm Street movie with Freddie Mercury in it. Definitely would watch that. 
you could just tell he's approaching when you hear the dulcet tones getting closer. <laughs> I feel the to of a step. <laughs> Is that a baritone I hear? <laughs> uh, all right, Nick, your best worst movie. Yeah, so I've never done any research on this film because I don't want to really know more about it. I found it in a movie store that was going out of business so everything was oh. like 90 percent off this is already and I promising. still yeah I, I still spent like 12 dollars on the dvd because because it was a special edition uh okay. the movie is called versus i don't know if you've ever heard of it it is a japanese kung fu sci-fi movie but zombies show up like 20 minutes in and it is just the wildest shit you have ever seen. Uh, it's super gory. It's funny at points. I had no idea what it was about. I just liked the pictures on the back, and I watched it. There's time travel and immortality at one point. And oh. almost the entire movie, it really feels like the cast, the director, and two cameramen like managed to get rights to film in this like maybe three acre stretch of woods and they do the whole thing just about just in this three acre stretch of woods and uh it's it's surprisingly good i have not rewatched it since college because i'm really enjoying the like rose-colored glasses memories of it and i don't know if it would still hold up but it does involve someone kicking a zombie's head off at another person at one point that's a thing that oh happens. that's lovely yeah it's, yeah it's pretty cool yeah. <laughs> just how many different things are going on there mm -hmm. reminds me of this book I read in high school. I can't remember the name of it for the life of me, but it's a sci-fi book okay. that like takes place in like medieval Europe, kind of, but you like have this really cool battle scene described to you and it's really gory and bloody. And then it zooms out and vegan aliens are looking down on the world and like, oh, they're so uncivilized. They hurt each other and eat meat. And then the meat-eating savage aliens start a war in the skies of Earth, and the vegan aliens are getting destroyed by them, and then they have to turn to none other than the savage Dracula. <laughs> That's right. <Wow. laughs> and Dracula has to save vegan aliens in space. It's man. Speaking of, we're we're talking about uh, we're talking about plot twists. So we'll get to that. One. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, gosh. Yeah, so uh, I looked it up. Mm -hmm. I think I'm actually going to rewatch this movie because the art from IMDb looks as awesome as I remember. Mm -hmm. Lovely. But it is an action drama fantasy for genre. Okay. And the tagline is, there are 666 portals that connect this world to the other side. Mm -hmm. These are concealed from all human beings. Somewhere in Japan exists the 444th portal, the Forest of Resurrection. And that that's that's it. Like I, okay. I don't know what else to tell you. This this movie is amazing. Oh, I don't know why I brought it up because this is maybe the best movie of all time, not the best worst movie. Oh. It's an unsung hero. Uh, the book that Hunter is talking about is called Out of the Dark, and apparently last year Hunter that book got oh. a sequel called Into oh. the Light. Uh, so <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll get that on your Amazon wish list. Uh, but oh, uh, amazing. Uh, I love. I love books that have really cheesy naming conventions like that. Mm -hmm. There's like a trio of time traveling romance novels, horribly written, called like Down and Dirty, Hot and Heavy, and Rough and Ready. <laughs> 
I, I love shit like that. Hunter, are you looking at my bookshelf again? I, I don't know. <laughs> Do you have books about time-traveling Vikings that become Navy SEALs? No. That no, actually sounds amazing. I, need, I would I read the hell out of that. You all, I need to tell you all about this series of romance novels, and one of those books is called The Angel Who Bore Fangs, and it is about a Viking vampire angel who fights Viking devils. The current base of operations for these vampire devils is a dude ranch in Montana, and they're disguising oh themselves as Al-Qaeda. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> this is an epic school book. I have it on my shelf. <laughs> it oh, is ridiculous. And, and, uh, and of course, the real headquarters of these devil vampires is fucking Dracula's castle in Transylvania. <laughs> <laughs> of course it has to. It, has it, all, to. T- it all ties back. It all ties I feel like back. I'm Charlie boarding. Yep. And, it, oh. and there are actual sex scenes in the in this book, and they are written ridiculously. <laughs> oh, lovely. Like you, do. like you do. Like you do. So my best worst movie is never going to be able to top any of that, but <laughs> uh, it's a movie from, I think, 2018. Okay. Ooh. Starring none other than Owen Wilson and Pierce Brosnan. It's okay. a film called No Escape, and it is one of the most horrendously edited movies i have ever seen but it is just just past the point of so terrible and poorly directed that it's funny to watch granted i may have been under the influence of alcohol when i watched it oh that'll do it but but it was a riot it's it's worth your time to watch good for date night you know yeah i I would like to actually amend my best worst movie i feel like i've mentioned this in a podcast episode before but there is this indie movie called camp out and it's camp out spelled with a k Mm -hmm. yeah we've talked about it but yeah it's it's basically like a hunter in athens ohio shoots bigfoot's child and bigfoot goes on a murderous rampage in revenge (laughs) taken but bigfoot please tell me it's still played by liam neeson because that would be amazing (laughs) liam neeson is bigfoot in the blockbuster of the summer. With a very particular set of skills. <laughs> I hope he talks to the old man that, because uh, there's a scene in this movie where, like, there's this human teenager that gets kidnapped by Bigfoot, and then this teenager manages to escape and run away to some old man's farm, and the the old man. Uh, just calls up the police so super cash and is like by the way i found the owens boy he wandered into my yard um you might want to send somebody to come pick him up and then he hangs up the phone looks at the kid and goes you want some fried chicken just <laughs> super casual that I mean, would calm me down if i'd been kidnapped no yeah. no lie I mean, for yeah. sure my goal is to grow up to be that kind of old man oh exactly yes. it's like i know just you just broke guy. into my house for some unknown reason and you're screaming about bigfoot but i have a fresh batch of fried chicken that i just finished up and i hate <laughs> to see it go to waste <laughs> can't let that cool down absolutely yeah no not. you got to eat it while it's hot <laughs> if you don't leave with second degree burns in your mouth all right well Oh, we're off to a <laughs> that good start. That was fun. <laughs> Go watch those movies, read those books. Absolutely. Uh, so the topic today that we're going to be getting into is plot twists. What are they? What do they mean? And how do you do them well? But plot twists in general. So we're going to be going around the table as we normally do, and I'm going to invite Nick to kick us off. I will 
let you know, listeners, and I'm very excited to hear Nick's thoughts on this because his immediate response to the topic was, oh, I hate those. I never put them in my games. <laughs> <laughs> so I, please. I may have been deliberately inflammatory. Take Hunter, the floor. No, please. I love dissenting opinion. Yeah, so... I have done plot twists in the past. Uh, I will try throughout the course of this conversation to kind of divide home games from like my recorded games because I think there's a lot of different approaches there and Mm -hmm. different things to be mindful of. For actual plays, I have done a couple of plot twists, but they're mostly small, like little things that don't necessarily impact the plot. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because one time, because I am a professional podcaster, I went to Gen Con because I am very cool. Uh, oh, super fancy smancy. Look at this guy with the yeah, VIP lo- tickets. Hey. <laughs> yeah, well, the, yeah. Uh, but so I went to a panel with Ree from the Magpies podcast, now of Clever Corvid's Productions, now of the City That Never Dies Great, Blades in the, Bar- uh, Blades in the Dark podcast, also a cast member on uh, A Night of Shreds and Patches. I don't know why I'm so pluggy today. <laughs> Plug all the things we have all the power strip next to him (laughs) she she told it was like so you want to do an actual play kind of like basic thing and i had gone mostly because i wanted to meet re and you know advice is good uh but she had said surprise the audience not the player Mm -hmm. uh and i remember at the time being like well that's dumb then my players won't have fun but what i have found is if you tell the players kind of where you're thinking about going they will toss in such deliciously often very sad or or tragic foreshadowy details the kind of thing of like oh everybody knows that this beloved character is going to die in a couple episodes and then if all the players know that they start doing things like taking that character aside and saying like you know, I think you're really the only one that's holding this group together, and I'm so glad you're here. And as a GM, you're just like, ha, 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 ha. Uh, it's great. And so, like, that mostly applies to AP, I think. But if you're going for your home game, a more collaborative atmosphere, the kind of thing as a GM where you're like, hey, let's build this city together, or let's have the plot go this way, which is something that I've been doing more lately, mm-hmm. less like, writing a story map and more writing like scenes I want to do and enlisting the players to come in on it. You can do that with plot twists as well. Uh, The other thing that I do like to do is potentially having a plot twist with a single character and that player knows and talking about that first, which lets you do like traumatic things to that character, not to the player, to the Mm -hmm. character. And I'm always very careful about like, I don't want to, like, cut off somebody's arm if they don't want a robot arm. Right. Like, that kind of thing. Like, I, that way, and that way, you know, you don't have to pull any punches because mm-hmm. that player was expecting it ahead of time. And they can ham it up really hard for the other players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's kind of my default these days. The biggest plot twist I ever did in a home game was the entire campaign. I had this old man that had been hired or that they had hired, this was a Deadlands game. So these cowboy bandit people had been hired to help bring this old man to a mine and they go into the mine and they're helping him do all this stuff. And at the end, it turns out he's the devil and they've helped him be freed. And so like the rest of the campaign was them trying to like lock the devil back up. So that was really fun, but also everyone knew like i tried to be secret but everyone's like well obviously this old man is not to be trusted he like he's super weird and creepy and in that instance like 
throwing out stupid things because like me as a player i like to plunge headfirst into traps and things like i think that's fun because like mm-hmm. the gm made this like really cool terrible thing to happen to you why would you avoid it like let it go off <laughs> they probably won't kill you probably depends unless on they, the gm let's say we're gary Gygax, but you know who, who cares? Uh, the, we've evolved beyond him <laughs> <laughs> so like it was the kind of thing the character's at that table. And this is the same group of people that we ended up making Tabletop Squadron with, which was my nice. first podcast. Uh, we had a home game for like three years before we started recording. Uh, but with that one, everybody, like I had been GMing for this group long enough. They knew my shenanigans. <laughs> and the players were saying, Nick, we know this guy's like fucking bad news. Like, like this guy is like super skeezy. Because <laughs> yeah. like, what's the point of doing foreshadowing if it's subtle? Like, that's yeah. no fun. Uh, that's not really my jam. But so the characters were all very like, obviously, we should follow the guy who's paying us. Let's do the right thing. And so like one of the characters lost her soul because she accepted the guy's offer to be healed by him. And like the player was like, oh, that's a terrible, horrible idea. Let's do it. And so she ended up becoming a Harrowed. But yeah, so like kind of the uh, participatory plot twist, I think, is something that's really fun. I wouldn't say... You have to do it that way. Because, like, sometimes just some good surprise is fun. Mm-hmm. Like, that it turns out the bad guy is the person's father or whatever is, like, you can't beat it at times. But also, if everyone knows that already, they the player could pick up, like, the affectations of the bad guy as the campaign goes on and, like, do that too. And it can be, like, a group effort. So mm-hmm. that's why I said, oh, I hate plot twists because I don't. It was just fun to say. But... <laughs> There, there's like a whole nother realm of plot twist you can get into where you bring the players along on it and like tell a cool story. Yeah. And especially for AP, because then you get to watch in like a discord as people lose their freaking minds mm-hmm. about it because of all the stuff that got put mm-hmm. in. And like, I'm not that smart. Like I can't put all of that foreshadowing and stuff in and maintain like the plot and the mechanics and the timing and director stuff. But gosh, if you get some players involved, they, when they're not in a scene, they get to think about it and they come up with some stuff like I never, ever would have thought oh, of. Oh, so yeah. that can be a lot oh, of fun. Yeah. Utilize yeah. the yep. players' imaginations to their fullest extent. Mm-hmm. Yep. I've always been a proponent, and I've talked about it on this show quite a few times, of uh, sometimes it's okay to just tell your players where you're going. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, tell them, tell them what's coming next, especially if it's going to be something heavy. Because you don't want to blindside somebody and then, you know, push a button that you weren't aware of. Because <laughs> that that could yeah. get a little icky. Mm-hmm. But I, I think the same rule should apply to, well, not necessarily that exact same rule. But the idea that a plot twist can be figured out is what makes it good. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, with few exceptions. Like, there's not really any foreshadowing about spoiler alert for Star Wars, I guess. But <laughs> there there's not really any context clues about vader being luke's father in star wars you know unless you watch them in episode order like god intended (laughs) unless you watch them in episode well yeah so you have (laughs) star wars and then empire and the return of the jedi yeah (laughs) the way that god intended (laughs) but if you watch them in release order when the plot twist like hit theaters there was really no way of knowing and it was a big deal right but Star Wars is the exception, not the rule. You look at a lot of the really good plot twists in movies throughout history, and a lot of them, on second watching, you're like, oh, 
oh, that's, mm-hmm. I should have known this, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And it can even be smaller things. Uh, pretty recently, The Witcher released on Netflix uh, season one. And Witcher season one takes place across three separate timelines. But you don't really figure that out unless you're really paying attention to the names of people. Mm-hmm. But then if you watch it a second time, like I did, like in episode one, there are clues planted that it's in three different timelines just based on like the names and the locations that they're talking about. Mm -hmm. And then it just gets progressively more and more blatant as it goes on. And those are really well done plot twists in terms of writing that, that you can look to for inspiration for your games, you know, speaking of, uh, being able to guess plot twists. Kelsey, you were talking about that you and your family are all writers. Do you do the thing where like 20 minutes into the episode, you shout out what the ending of the episode is? Kinda. Or is that just a, that's what, mm-hmm. my wife won't watch stuff with me very much anymore. Cause I learned to do that in my family. It's like, oh, that guy's the murderer. Yeah. And she's like, there's no evidence there. It's like, no, but based on the camera angles, yeah. you know he is. Mm-hmm. The way they're presenting she's it. She's like, oh, uh, yeah. ba- based on how the camera is like doing the Dutch angle thing, based on the lighting, based on some of the context clues mm-hmm. and some of, the, some of the placement of the props. Yeah, that, that guy's the bad guy. And it it's a different kind of satisfaction when you figure it out. Mm-hmm. Because one of two things are going to happen if you think you figure out a plot twist. One, you get the gratification of being right. Mm-hmm. And two, if you're wrong, you're shocked twice over yep because they threw you for a loop exactly so putting elements into your game if you're going to try to pull off a plot twist that allow the players to figure it out or at least proclaim a red herring Mm -hmm. it's going to hit a lot harder when you actually reveal the thing right so i actually just pulled one off in my dnd game it was a small one it wasn't like world shattering or anything Mm-hmm. yet but um, <laughs> uh Keyword. my my fiance's character is a druid mm-hmm. and like a lot of D plot lines they have to go around and gather up allies for their home group's issues right yeah so her home group of druids needs help and she's going around to the other three groups of druids to get help from them the first one were really really kind they brought them in gave her a magical item really sweet and then she's like i'm gonna go to these uh this other group i'm gonna go to the druids of the river so they start traveling up river to go see these druids and then they see spirits drifting around in the forest around where it should be and they're like oh no these spirits need our help let's go help them so they go and they follow them and they find this decrepit city with a bunch of skeletons all around and it looks overgrown like it's been dead for decades or centuries right Mm -hmm. And then they figure out that this is what remains of the druids of the river. My brain made that connection before, before you got into the, the pitch about like, and then they find the city and I'm like, Oh, that city is dead. Oh yeah, (laughs) absolutely. So it it wasn't like a huge plot twist. (laughs) Exactly. It wasn't like a huge plot twist, but you know, as a player in a game, well, as GMs, we get the benefit of seeing the story overall. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, But as players, you're swept up in a lot of different converging storylines, typically. Mm -hmm. Uh, Your story, all of the other players' stories, and then the main plot line. And it's easy to lose track of things like the clues to a plot twist, Mm -hmm. even though you know in the back of your mind that they're there. So it's a lot easier to do Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, than you would think. But 
regardless, it, it was a twist pulled off well. I was very happy with it because when they identified themselves, the spirits identified themselves as the remnants of the druids of the river, mm-hmm. the audible gasp from the table was honey. <laughs> honey nice. on, on like peanut <laughs> it's butter. It's a good feeling. <laughs> it was so good. But, you know, all the clues were already there. You know, the plot was laid out. All of the road work was already completed. Mm-hmm. And then it was just throw the bait, you know, and hope they take it. Mm-hmm. And they did. And sometimes they won't. But And that's okay, too. That's okay mm-hmm. as well. The cheese rolls down the hill, as we've said. <laughs> that's, yeah. Ah, uh, callback. Oh, it's it's a callback to somebody else's episode, but yep. Yeah, yeah go totally. listen to uh, Thinking Critically's episode where we featured self-plug a little bit on our own show. Hey, yeah, Nick's already been it, doing enough plugs. It's time that we plug our Yeah, own that plugs. actually balances the scales a little yeah. bit, so I feel like that's good. I, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. <laughs> Obligatory reference to our season two, or our uh, episode two. Season one, episode two on session zeros, because we reference that episode a lot. Yes. Joe, you have a lot of notes. Do you want to read those notes for us, Joe? I wouldn't be happy to discuss them with you. I don't think I'll read them word for word. Uh, So we've we've already talked a little bit about making sure that we leave breadcrumbs to hint about what's to come, right? Uh, it's it's a lot more satisfying to your players to, to be able to, uh, like Hunter said, either proclaim I knew it or get let off guard or caught off guard by a minor detail that wasn't actually something important, whether they manufactured it themselves or you presented it as a red herring. Good twists make sense, and they're that final piece of the puzzle that makes everything else make sense and click into place when you see it and when it happens, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the missing slice of cheese that makes you go, oh, that's the whole pizza. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever cut a single slice of cheese out of my pizza, but uh, we have a, we'll have we have that discussion at a different time. Okay, <laughs> who just took a slice out of the middle of the pizza? You don't even have uh, you're, you're that person, Kelsey? <laughs> yes. Uh, you're, you're like, oh, divide this, divide this uh, pie into three pieces, and you're like, uh, uh, uh. Oh. I told oh, you that referring to us as normal hosts was not okay. <laughs> I will continue to do so, damn it. Hunter can't ride a bike and you eat things from the middle. <laughs> it, all, it all is coming together now. Yep. So when you start to put your, your plot threads together uh, and you're kind of like laying out your web or uh, I've made a Charlie, Charlie board reference already today, don't introduce a new thread when something you have in play already uh, will work. Uh, and I've, I think I've said this before when, when t- we were talking about building characters or NPCs or even villains. Uh, but you already have those balls in the air. And more likely than not, your players and their characters have history with those elements. And so it's going to be that much more impactful when they feature again in some way, shape, or form. Right? Yep. And this is something that has happened to me individually as a player don't expect your players to know or have read every bit of lore you've handed them or maybe exists for this given world that you uh, are playing in because you may think that you're handing them this really cool, impactful twist, but it goes right over their head because they didn't know that that was important. Don't hesitate to bring things up one or two times. Think about things that you would need to see as an audience member, if this was a play, like to know something was important, would you have to go look up a, an article in the World Book Encyclopedia to know that, oh, that's what that means? Like, no, like that's not that's not good storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
just like video games, uh, having a whole index in your uh, pause screens that you need to read all these audio logs and stuff. Not not great storytelling, but uh, I digress. Yeah, uh, important information should not be missable. Absolutely. Yeah. Like it, since we're on the topic of video games, right? Um, Horizon Forbidden West just came out. I've been spending a lot of time with that game. It's beautiful. It's a lot of fun. Technical problems aside, but Horizon Zero Dawn is very nearly a perfect game because there are multiple plot twists in it that are not reliant on side information, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but all of the important information that you need is presented to you through cutscenes and dialogue and main missions, right? However, they add a lot of additional storytelling along the path to those main missions. So you are going to find all of this side information that's going to enrich the twists as you go. Mm-hmm. They had a like a full team of writers and years of prep to do this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I don't expect you to have like 15 audio logs from one start of a story arc to the end where the plot twist is pulled off. Mm-hmm. Don't do that much work. But just one or two little additional bits of information to enrich a plot twist can also go a long way. Absolutely. Although, fun side note, if you have a friend who's willing to record audio logs for your game, yes. do it. It is amazing. <laughs> yeah. any, kind of uh, ar- any kind of artifacting you can do as a GM is always a blast. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we we have somebody that, like, for a more recent episode, I sent them a thing. It was like, hey, I need an audio log about this kind of stuff, but do it as the character you've already done before and, like, go, go crazy mm-hmm. with it. And they did. And it was great. And it's a lot of fun. <laughs> this is why I love uh, one of my players, who is also my roommate. She almost always plays characters who keep journals. And mm-hmm. she just writes journal entries as her character as the session is going and i'm like num 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 yes chef's kiss this is great (laughs) and there's Mm -hmm. been times where i've forgotten little details and and i'm like hey did you did you guys i want to see if you've met these particular people yet and i'll like flip through her notes and Mm -hmm. and i'll be like oh cool you haven't met them yet so i could potentially just write them out of the script but (laughs) yeah character character journals are really cool on Tabletop Squad, one of the characters is uh, very into drugs and partying. And, <laughs> unfor- and unfortunately, the, yeah, the player is one of our most organized people and is very good at keeping us on track. The character is not, and all of their notes are written in character. So <laughs> I rely on somebody else's notes to make sure stuff is good. But it's fun. <laughs> if I had to boil it all down uh, like to a single like focus... Don't leave your twist or your your story in general down to a single point of failure, right? Mm -hmm. So if they don't talk to this one person or they don't ask this one right question, the whole plot's going to unravel or they're not going to get it. Uh, And that's not great storytelling, to be honest. So one thing to to remember, and, and there may be people in these industries that will argue with me, but collaborative storytelling is a lot more like a film or a TV show than a novel. Yep. And I'm going to say this uh, with respect to, let's say, a movie, right? Uh, let's look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe because this this does have a, a lot of this, you know, whatever your strong opinions are about it. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of collaboration between the people behind the camera and the people in front of the camera to influence a character's decisions, what they would say or do in a given scene. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the initiative that your players have. They are there making decisions, being like, actually, yeah, I don't think this character would do that. 
So don't get so hung up in the story that you're presenting that you don't allow for it to be taken a different way or to look at it from a different angle. Mm -hmm. Your players have just as much involvement in the story, potentially more, because as a GM, you kind of step back and you're looking at it from the civilization level of, okay, well, if I move these pieces over here, this is how it's all going to come together. Whereas your players are bathing in it. Like they're literally right there front and center dealing with the stuff that you're putting putting in front of them. So acknowledge that, like understand, hey, look, like these people are invested in this story too. Like they have valuable input. And sometimes, let's be honest, like you may have a general framework of how the story's gonna go and the players come up with some oddball idea in the game discord that's 100% better than anything you've written down. Yep. And that's okay. It's okay to, to swipe that because one, you get that player gets that aha moment of I knew it the whole time, and you're like, yeah, you you did a great job figuring that out. But like, it was a better twist. Like, and that's okay. Like, don't be mm-hmm. so precious about your story that you can't admit that actually that dramatically that's a better call. Yeah. Joe, Joe, can I add on to that with a small anecdote? Absolutely. So we played D and D in a home game one time. <laughs> uh, this is a great and. Story. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I guess they're all home games. That's just like we. This was back when like pre pre Panini times would like go over <laughs> to friends' houses and eat dinner together mm-hmm. before the game and stuff. Mm-hmm. But so we had a game. It was basically like a big road trip, yeah. and mm-hmm. we get to this city at the end of the session. Like we know it's late. We're gonna leave, and everywhere has flags of Tiamat up, and they're like, "We're well, we're gonna bring you to the council and to the head of the council, and you have to meet the leader of the town." Mm-hmm. And like as the session's ending, I say, "God, I hope the leader of this town is a dragon in a in a funny hat. Like, please <laughs> let it just be a dragon in a funny hat. That's all I want." And uh, turns out that was what the plot twist was supposed to be, was that the leader of the council was a dragon uh, (laughs) because it was a cult of Tiamat. So, like, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, But so the GM, uh, shout out to Lilith, one of the more patient humans I know. Uh, The GM went to Reddit and was like, so they guessed the plot twist before the arc starts and got a bunch of ideas. And what they ended up doing was that it was a dragon in a funny hat that was actually just a person casting illusion on themselves <laughs> to look like a dragon so that they could lead the cult of Tiamat. And then one of the other council members, after we like kill them and they turn back into a person, they're like, ah, because it's D&D. So of course of we kill them. Right. Uh, yeah. One of the other council members go, oh, good, because I thought this was going to be awkward and turns into a dragon. <laughs> because she had been watching the cult of Tiamat to see what they were doing. Uh, and so then we had to fight her. Double twist. And then... I would, yeah. So, like, that was a fun way to turn it on its head, but still, like, acknowledge that we had kind of guessed what was going to happen. I then did kind of mess the plot up worse because that was my infamous bard campaign, and I seduced the dragon, and we ended up getting married at one point. But, (laughs) good for uh, you. That's a whole nother story. Yeah, my favorite magic item in DD, the Ring of Girlfriend, where you can call your dragon girlfriend and ask what you're supposed to be doing with the plot. (laughs) Uh, But, but, like that, all of that just to say, like having a player or the group think of something better or like something that's different. Like if you can incorporate both or put a spin on it or something like that, that's like the whole point of collaborative storytelling. Exactly. Right? Like, and like that's a moment. Gosh, that happened. Oh, I don't. That happened like 
six years ago. I don't like thinking about that. Uh, <laughs> but like, that's still a thing I bring up. Like at parties when people are telling RPG stories, like that's one of my go-tos because it's so funny mm-hmm. and like everyone can relate mm-hmm. to it. But if the GM had been like, nah, I'm sticking to my plan, or even if they had said like, oh, I'm just going to do like something totally different because they guessed yeah, it already, that left. wouldn't have been nearly as impactful. So I, I think it's important. We use a lot of food metaphors, and I'm about to use another one. Hell yeah. <laughs> As a GM, you're you're kind of like the chef in a kitchen, right? And the players are like, uh, what's the word? Tomatoes. Wine customers. Oh, there we oh. go. <laughs> they are like tomatoes at a, customers at a restaurant. No. <laughs> so you're, you're essentially preparing a meal for the players, right? Let's just say you're, you're making a steak dinner. Okay. You, as a chef, might have had steak before, so you know what steak tastes like. But when you serve it on the day of, every person is going to experience that steak dinner a little differently. Maybe somebody orders it medium rare. Maybe somebody is a godless heathen and orders it well done. Um, (laughs) So everybody's going to have a slightly different experience with the meal that you set in front of them, even if they were all cooked the same way. Mm -hmm. And you can't be like, hey, you, person over there, you should be tasting this. And then they're like, I don't know. I don't like the food. And you're like, but it's steak. Mm-hmm. You should like it because you're I like it. You're experiencing the steak wrong. Exactly. <laughs> you, you could say so, it's a mistake. Uh, we, we could, but we're not going to. <laughs> Boo. Really beefed it with that joke, Kelsey. <laughs> we're deleting the episode. <laughs> All right, we're taking this from the top. But the the food metaphor, like at the end of the day, what I'm getting at is don't go into a session expecting everybody to experience your twist or even your story in the exact same way that you did writing it. Uh, Because cooking a steak is very different than eating it. Eating it's a lot better because you're eating steak. But as a GM, you kind of need to temper your expectations when you're going into a plot twist. You can't expect it to be like the sixth sense of D&D games. Or, or whatever, where everybody's like, oh my god, the dragon wasn't a dragon, and the not dragon was a dragon. <laughs> you know, if people don't react as strongly as you hope for, just move on. It's you can okay. cry yourself to sleep after you're off, uh, off table. The other thing, too, I would say to that is, like, anything something doesn't land the way you want it to something that took me a long time to figure out and i'm glad the rpg community is moving towards is like remember that you're playing with your friends and you want to have fun Mm. and that they're your friends so like there's a lot of stuff where like in the old days back in the dark ages you would (laughs) tell people like oh well if you want your player to do xyz the other thing you have to manipulate them and punish them until they do what you want and like it sure is great to be like hey so gen x yeah, well, and I try not to throw uh, generational stones, but yes. Um, but the uh, the point being, like, so, like, if a point doesn't hit, like, after the session when you're all out getting waffles or whatever your post-game ritual yeah. is, saying, like, oh, I thought this plot twist was going to be, like, a huge deal and y'all didn't really jump on it as much as I expected, what didn't land for you? Like, did, did you mm-hmm. not have enough information? Did you? And somebody might be like, oh, no, I thought it was cool. I just was also sleepy or whatever. Like, yeah. And getting that kind of feedback real time or close mm-hmm. to is great. And some people may just be like, oh, I didn't like that character. And like, that's good to know for next time, yeah. right? Uh, so open discussion is good. This is aftercare. <laughs> and mm-hmm. this is something that we've talked about a lot. Uh, I think bleed in aftercare. This, 
I actually referenced our, our session zero episode, you know, season one, episode two. It's good stuff. We talk but about um, safety tools, and that's one of the ones that we bring up is bleed in aftercare. For, you know, a, a bit of a graphic example, leave the blood at the table and then care for yourselves after you leave it, right? Yeah. So all of that emotion, even if it's disappointment, leave it at the table and then discuss afterwards so that you can reconcile that. So if you as a GM are disappointed that a plot twist didn't go off in the way that you expected, just like Nick said, go out, get waffles with your friends and or virtual waffles if you're playing online. Get get waffles with your friends, real or fake, and just be like, hey, look, let's talk about whatever happened. You know, yeah. it, it will help you as a GM both improve your skills, get to know your players better and mm-hmm. feel better about yourself because sometimes things not landing can hit pretty hard on an emotional level Mm -hmm. speaking from experience and you always can try again yeah uh i'm assuming the phrase the cheese rolls downhill is like if a thing gets skipped you can always recycle it for later but i i think that applies to plot twists well it's the plot always moves forward Mm. is the idea okay like things always move on the picture that brought to me is when, oh, you're, well, when that, your players go... That was go, one oh, flavor of cheese. We can use a different flavor <laughs> cheese wheel for this other metaphor that Nick is talking about. Maybe density. like a monster of cheese. <laughs> uh, but when, when people are like, no, I don't want to do that quest. Or like, oh, we're going to skip that yeah. dungeon. That's fine. That prep can be reskinned really mm-hmm. easily. And you mm-hmm. can do that with plot twists to an extent. Like... Yeah. If that big reveal didn't work, figure out why it didn't. And if that's something that's really important to the story you're trying to tell, well, turn it on its head, move it around a little, shake it up some, and give it back to the players. And mm-hmm. maybe they'll like it a little bit better that Put time. Like it's an iterative process. Yeah. Heck yeah. 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 So, and I think we've, my last point, uh, we've talked about this a little bit already, but be, be mindful of how unknown twists might hit your players. Uh, understand the type of story that you're trying to tell. And trust your players hunters already said like don't guard your twists so tightly that you're going to hurt your players uh i don't think that's that's a great way to be collaborative it's not a great way to be a friend honestly mm-hmm. i mean so for example uh i'm running a vampire the masquerade uh session once a month for my monday night group uh, just to give our gm like a little bit of breathing room and let him like just relax and have fun for a little bit yeah oh that's awesome and so like literally my like when we started this last arc, I was like, hey, look, like, here are some themes that I'm looking at for this story arc. You know, this and this aren't going to feature prominently, but they're at least implied. Uh, and if any of that is an issue, please let me know, because I don't want to, like, inflict that upon you. I want you to experience the story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because difficult topics can be used to tell dramatic stories, but they also shouldn't be there to, like, drive your players away or put them in an uncomfortable position yeah yeah you don't have a story without your players so your Mm -hmm. players are more important than your story Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah yeah there's something to be said about um i just recently watched a episode uh by cinema therapy about the dark knight and fear and um in that first dark knight movie um they briefly touch on immersion therapy and there mm-hmm. is something to be said about like D and D being kind of a form of immersion therapy because you're you the person are distanced from it because you are role playing a character in these situations. However, th- it can only be distanced so much. You are still somewhat emotionally invested in there, so it is very important to mm-hmm. communicate with your players mm-hmm. about this sort of thing. 
Well, and that there's consent yes. there, like that Absolutely. they want yes. to do the yes. thing. Uh, that that seems like a, a good thing to check. I personally am always worried I'm going to accidentally like traumatize somebody. So I, I check in a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And also like I'm more comfortable as a GM knowing like exactly where people don't want to go. So mm-hmm. that means and, and what they're enthusiastic for. So like in our uh, online games, what we've started doing is we have a Discord channel mm-hmm. open. Because uh, there's a lot of, like, in Akasep especially, there's a lot of, like, one-on-one character interactions. Mm-hmm. And something that I've always struggled with at the table is, uh, like, you're getting into this emotional scene or whatever, but, like, I'm always so aware of the fact that, like, two or three other people aren't doing anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, like, okay, we need to move this along so everyone can participate. Yeah. So we have that Discord channel. The original plan was, like, if you put green or thumbs-up emojis in there, that means, like, this is great, keep going. Mm-hmm. And it was also supposed to be used for, like, the X card to be like, hey, let's not talk about that as mm-hmm. a way to not have to do that verbally. Yeah. Uh, what it's turned into is if you're enjoying the scene, you try to find the most distracting, relevant gift Spam possible. Yeah. <laughs> That's, like, to it. But it's a great way for, like, people to participate in the scene. And for somebody like me who's like, oh, gosh, not everybody's playing right now as the mm-hmm. GM. I don't want to, like, leave people out. Seeing them still participating in stuff makes them, like... Makes engaged. everybody more engaged. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the same for, like, uh, any potential triggers or rough subjects. Yeah. Is like, having having that communication up front is huge. I think that's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Well, I, I don't have too much more to add. I've already talked about um, a lot of what I want to say. Mm-hmm. So forgive the hard cut transition a little bit. <laughs> but there is just one, one or two more things that I want to bring up very swiftly, and then we will move into what uh, Kelsey wants to talk about because I love trash and Game of Thrones. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I <laughs> I am adamant about not disparaging a piece of media just because I dislike it. Mm-hmm. Right. So like Game of Thrones was not really my speed. Oh, not mine either. I'll talk shit about it. Yeah. But I, I'm not going to call it a bad piece of media. Because it, you know, it was really good uh, for, for what it was, people. you know? Yeah. yeah. It gave work to a bunch of very pretty actors. Yes. yes. Which I think is it did. a viable uh, economic solution. Yeah. Yes. It gave, gave us Pedro Pascal for The Mandalorian, so there you go. Yes, exactly. Yeah, there you go. Attack on Titan is another example of a show that I do not enjoy for a number of reasons. <laughs> but uh, the one that we're going to talk about today is yeah. it's awful handling of plot twists in general so attack on titan is coming to an end finally i think the series finale (laughs) i think the series finale is just now closing so spoilers for attack on titan i think this came out in like season two or whatever which was probably like 20 years ago with its release rate but Mm. so in attack on titan season two you learn the identities of the colossal titan and the armored titan who showed up in episode one and caused the fall of the outside wall, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. The way that they reveal it, you'd think, would be pretty dramatic and, you know, like, big and blockbuster moment, right? No, they they just kind of tell you. So everybody's walking along after a training mission, Mm -hmm. and then the two guys who are the two titans that kicked off the whole series just kind of pull aside the main character, and they're like, hey, buddy, uh, we're the two evil people that caused your mom to die, uh, you should run away with us. Oh, yeah, that does happen, Mm -hmm. doesn't it? Yeah. Boy, am I glad I'm not invested in this series. It's just there. (laughs) And there are some plot twists that are pulled off 
well, but a vast majority of them are just kind of like dropped at you. Yeah. So this is a thing that we did. Uh, yeah, so pretty much. This this kind of writing gap is what we would call a tell don't show, which is the opposite of what you should mm-hmm. be doing, which is show don't show tell. Don't. So, yeah. Exactly. They also commit the second cardinal sin in that show, which is that, uh, spoilers, they kill the flying psychopathic cowboy, which they should never have done. He should have stayed in the show the whole time. I'd still be watching it if that had happened. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. I, I read Attack on Titan through, I think, what ended up being the beginning of season three mm-hmm. of the anime. Okay. That's a good place to stop. I think I stopped in season four, but I did get the uh, psychopathic murder cowboy, and yeah. he was pretty cool. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. It, it just didn't click with me. Anyway, I only bring it up yeah. to, to say that that's a really bad example of a plot twist. Mm-hmm. Just throwing really relevant and plot-breaking information at your players or your viewers in that case mm-hmm is so underwhelming. Yeah. Uh, One of the best things about storytelling is the drama that's involved in it. Mm -hmm. And sucking any drama out of a moment like that, especially a plot twist that leans so heavily on it, is the number one way to disengage your players. Yeah. So that's all I wanted to bring up. Kelsey. (laughs) Yeah. I, I pretty much kept it to one line. Don't pull a HBO Game of Thrones. And I have to specify because while I have not read the actual books, it is my understanding that the television show Game of Thrones and the books Game of Thrones diverge after a certain point. I think it's like season four of the show. Something like that. Really starts splitting from the books. Yeah. It's because they ran out of they ran, they ran out, out of manga, book. Yeah, they ran out right? of book to yeah. adapt. <laughs> it's the, yeah, it's the it's the anime problem. Yeah, yeah, and, yep. which you know is is fair. Uh, Full Metal Alchemist, the first Full Metal Alchemist anime, kind of had the same problem. At the end of their second season, they were like, "Hey, we're caught up with the material. What do we do?" And Hiromu Awakawa was like, "Make up your own thing. I have a very detailed plot in mind, and I don't want to rush it or disrupt it. So go off and do your own thing." And the animators were like, great! And that's why the first Full Metal Alchemist anime is, and I'm going to throw this out there as a hot take, not great. <laughs> it's good up until a point, but then you get into World War II ghost dimension jumping and it gets a little strange. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I keep telling Athena, we like you just want to watch Brotherhood. Yes. You don't need to yeah. watch the other one. Yeah. Just watch Brotherhood. Yeah. And she is insistent on no. watching both. And I'm like, all right, well. Put me on speaker. Athena. <laughs> Asleep. Okay. She wants to watch the sad dog thing twice? Apparently. No. If she's going to watch it twice, just watch the live action movie. <laughs> That's worse. Like, just watch the live action movie. So. Don't pull an HBO Game of Thrones. Please tell me what this means. Yes. So what this, what this means is... Because part part of the reason that people were so upset with the conclusion of Game of Thrones was because the writers threw in twists that were not rooted in the characters that had been built up to up to that point. And they mm-hmm. just twisted the characters around because, ooh, edgy, this is not what you expect. And it's like, yeah, it's not what we expect, but because it was not built up to anything. So like, mm-hmm. yeah. Turn turning the like social justice dragon lady into a dictator is not. It's it's not exciting because it was not built up to. Having the incestuous brother sister be like, "I've always loved you," isn't satisfying because it's not built up. 
Yeah, it was actually building the opposite direction yeah. in both yes. cases. It's absolutely building so. in the opposite direction. But the uh, but the writers for the show were like, oh, but this is something the audience does not expect. And it's like, d- yeah, because the audience is actually fairly smart and you should reward the audience. You shouldn't mm-hmm. punish the audience for picking up on clues that you deliberately put in there. Yeah, and I think this is where we get into the divergence of plot twists and plot betrayals. Because... Mm-hmm. A plot betrayal is where you completely turn 180 on everything that's been built up on. Mm -hmm. Whereas a plot twist is just like swerving it where it's still going the same direction. Yeah. But it's just taking a slightly different road to get there. Yeah. Right. I think in the terms of Game of Thrones season eight, and this is one of the things that kind of bothers me about shows like Game of Thrones, The Walking Dead and Attack on Titan Mm -hmm. is that they rely very heavily on shock value. Yes. Mm. And... The thing about shock in general is that eventually you're going to get numb to it. Yeah. For lack of a better term, everybody that watches those show becomes a nihilist when they watch it. Yeah. Because you you don't want to invest in anybody because you're going to try to shield yourself from that hurt of the shock, right? Mm-hmm. Things like Ned Stark's death, I guess spoilers, Ned Stark's <laughs> death <laughs> at the end of season one or book one of Game of Thrones. I can see the flinch. <laughs> I know. Uh, that death was built up to, it was rewarding, and it felt mm-hmm. earned, mm-hmm. right? And he was played by Sean Bean, so... Exactly, you knew so he knew it was going to happen. Kiss of death. <laughs> there was, there was run, the one role that he did where he actually did not die at the end, which shocked me. And if you want to know where that is, that uh, Jim Henson's workshop did a series called The Storyteller, and Sean Bean was a prince in one episode. <laughs> nice. And he actually lived at the end, and I'm like, what? Good for him! I'm happy for him. Good. I'm ha- I'm happy for him too. I'm just I was just shocked. <laughs> but I would caution you if you're going to try to pull off a plot twist, mm-hmm. make sure that you're not going the route of unearned shock. Yeah. It has its place. Mm-hmm. You know, Attack on Titan season 1 is, you know, so hooking for a lot of people because nothing else really at the time was doing that kind of irreverent bloody mess that it did with its characters you know so many people die yeah uh in season one it's super gory mm-hmm. it's kind of a bummer yeah it is it's really a bummer. <laughs> yeah. yeah i didn't even make it all the way through season one because it literally was like okay so this main character's mother's death is impactful to him it's driving him to do this thing mm-hmm and then we literally spend, uh, I can't remember, an episode or two, like, getting acquainted with the platoon. And then we promptly kill off, like, 80% of them. And I'm like, okay, so death has no meaning here. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it doesn't, it's not impactful. These characters don't matter. Yeah. Which is even worse than Dragon Ball Z. And this is the obligatory Dragon Ball Z mention of the episode. Because <laughs> I am contractually obligated in my own contract that I wrote just for myself. That I have what to... What we pay you for. Yes, I have to mention Dragon Ball Z <laughs> at least once in every episode. This is a thing. This is why you brought Thank me you, on. Thank you, Toriyama-senpai. Yes. The, yes, Toriyama-senpai. But... Um, it's funny because everybody jokes about how in Dragon Ball death has no meaning because the Dragon Balls are just like an automatic get out of death free card but like honestly I think Attack on Titan is a lot more egregious because they build up these characters and then they kill them off and there is like to my understanding at least no bringing them back at least with like Dragon Ball there's effort that goes into collecting the Dragon Balls to 
make the wish to get the friends back to life. The adventure to the planet Namek happens because they are trying to bring some friends back to life. That is the entire point. <laughs> also, this is a good segue into talking about plot twists with Akira Toriyama because Toriyama is really good at pulling things out of his ass. And this is not a bug. It's a feature. Like, <laughs> like this. Basically. Okay, Bethesda software. Okay. <laughs> yes, but like, this is, this is something that he is okay with doing because he is a gag creator by nature. So like, pulling things out of his butt is just something that's second nature to him. So when an editor say, and this is something that is actually true, the editor that he was working with when he first came up with Imperfect Cell, like the bug man, uh, the editor took one look at him and went, this guy is way too creepy. And Toriyama was like, okay, uh, this isn't his final form. And he's like hastily <laughs> making notes to like draft up the next iteration of him. And then hold on, hold on, hold yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, that's a really good line. I should write that down. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> this isn't his final form. <laughs> but like, then he released like semi-perfect cell, and the editor looked at it and went, "This guy looks stupid." <laughs> and it was like, just get him into his perfect fair. Get him into his perfect form already. And Toriyama was like, but I really wanted to do cool. Fine. <laughs> and went back to the drawing board and created Perfect Cell. And then they just ran off the races with him. But when it comes to like twists, part of the reason that those twists worked was not just because of editorial meddling, though that did play a part. Part of the reason those twists worked was because it was built into the world that the world is absurd. So when somebody says, this isn't my final form, you can take them at face value when they say that because it's been said before. But also whenever there's like an alien bug man that appears out of nowhere, you can just be like, ah, oh, yes, this is now a threat that we have to contend with. This isn't too terribly shocking, but it is kind of shocking that he drinks people. Oh, I forgot oh, about yeah, that. Oh, he, yeah, he drinks people out of his tail. Like, he has a stinger to do that and everything. But, like, creepy bug man, not so, like, weird. The fact that he drinks people, that's really freaking weird. We should really stop this guy before he drinks any more people. And that twist of, ah, but I have two other forms and I achieve them by absorbing my siblings is, like, it is kind of an ass pull, but it is an ass pull that there is a kind of impetus for because, like, while Fusion wasn't established... At that point in the story, it is kind of established that the androids are a thing. So Cell mm -hmm. being like, I am an android, is not that weird. And him being like, I'm a creation of Dr. Giro, not too weird either. But the twist of, I must absorb my siblings, that is a twist. Because it's like, oh, great, we already knew that Dr. Giro was a sick fuck for turning teenagers into robots. <laughs> But this is a new level of ew. And, and I think that this is where we get back into the idea of drama being paramount to pulling off any mm -hmm. story beat plot twists, especially. Yes. Like we were talking about with, you know, shock without drama is just going to make you numb. Mm -hmm. A twist without drama is just going to make you bored. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And another thing, too, because, like, the thing about shows that really put an emphasis on shock value, I find that when you're tracing the arc of escalation and de-escalation, there is a lot more escalation and not as much de-escalation. There's not a lot of, like, calm in those kinds of shows. Mm -hmm. There's yeah. there's no, like, breathing room. And mm -hmm. the surprising thing is, is that 
whatever iteration of Dragon Ball Z you're looking at, whether you're looking at the manga, the original Z, or you're looking at Dragon Ball Kai, there's still downtime between arcs. Like, there's breathing room mm -hmm. to show this is what life looks like when they're not constantly fighting and punching people. And yeah. when you're doing plot twists, I think, it's very important to show, like, what baseline looks like in a given story. And that yep. that can be important for your players, too. Like, that that's... Okay. I'm gonna mention Critical Role. Sorry, people. But... <laughs> Critical one. How dare you? Yeah. Well, I never heard of also it. Also segueing into Legend of Vox Machina too, because like, spoilers. At the end of season one, there's this like calm point where they make it back to Iman and every everything's fine and everything's chill and there's like a, a a baseline that's established where it's like ah this is what peace looks like and then dragons come in and. The twist for that was already established in, like, episodes one and two, whenever there was a bad guy that was like, the era of humans is coming to an end. And then it's not touched on until the end of the season. So it's hinted at there. And if you want to do that in your campaign, that's... I mean, whenever I run a home campaign, that's how I generally do plot twists, is I'll mention in a session, like, a story beat, and then wait a couple of sessions more, and then bring it back up again. But the seeds are important to plant there. You can't just Toriyama. You can't you can't just whip it out of nowhere without a seed being planted first. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It definitely helps to let it season from time to yes. time. Yeah. For sure. Kind of what you're talking about. Like it's a brick joke, right? Yeah. So but again, you saw them throw the brick. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes back, you know, 20 pages later or you know 20 episodes later yep. it's meaningful it's impactful to the people that have have engaged with the story yeah well i think a brick would be pretty impactful if i got hit with it yeah i would ah. absolutely not <laughs> yeah. be excited about a brick 1d4 plus strength damage i believe i'm, I'm actually <laughs> just like, about the the comics the comic artist in me is really happy you brought up the brick joke because uh there is a comic strip from like the 20s or something called crazy cat and there is actually an entire series of comics awards called the Ignatz Awards, named after the mouse in that comic strip. And all that mouse ever did was throw bricks at the cat. Mm -hmm. And, like, there's different ways to illustrate a mouse throwing a brick at a cat. Clearly, because this comic strip for, ran for years. <laughs> lovely yeah absolutely there are multiple ways to throw a brick and there's multiple ways to illustrate the the brick like making its progression before it makes its landing all right well with all of that said and done are there any quick last minute thoughts that we have about the topic of plot twists don't underestimate the fact that like a plot twist is to keep the plot engaging and interesting and mm -hmm. fun yes. as you may have discussed in session zero like sometimes a good question to ask the party is like what are things that you're interested in happening mm -hmm. and that's a great place to harvest some of those plot twists later because you're going to get more suggestions than you're ever going to use so people are going to assume like oh okay I guess we're not airships aren't a thing here until mm -hmm. your airship shows up and then <laughs> everyone loses their minds 
So <laughs> yeah. that's like a really good place to harvest those kind of things. Or like Joe mentioned, like the, the group chat during downtime, somebody mm-hmm. may bring something up and like definitely still lay those scenes in canon, like on camera. I'm doing a lot of air quotes right now, yeah. Yeah. but yeah. make sure you plant those seeds, <laughs> but like harvest wherever you could get that stuff from. Also, when I was talking about the plot twist, like steal plot twists from other stuff. Oh my yes. gosh. Yeah. When I was talking about that... uh that Deadlands game with the devil and everything, that's just the opening cinematic for the game Diablo. Yeah. Like, that was what I based the entire thing on. And I was a little disappointed that none of my friends, turns out, had played that <gasps> game, so they didn't get the reference, but that means they thought I was original. <laughs> Predictable, <laughs> but original. So it's a win-win either way. But, like, feel free to just steal They don't stuff. know about the cow level. So they're very internet plugged in. I am sure that the cow level, like they would know what that was, but they wouldn't get the cinematic of like the old man with the rusty sword or whatever, which is what like the whole basis of that campaign was. Gotcha, yeah. But yeah, that's what I would say. Harvest the ideas from anywhere you can, especially from your players, because that makes people happy, including Mm -hmm. the the GM. Absolutely. Well, there was one character, if I can uh, have a little like anecdote, um, first ever game that I GM'd for there was a player who was playing a ranger and in her character backstory and I'm so glad that she gave me this character backstory um, but she gave me a character backstory that she ran away from home and one of her long term goals was to make amends with her parents because she felt like she had wronged them by running away from home but she felt like she had to because she was developing powers and she didn't know how to accept that and she didn't want to like terrorize her parents in any way so she just ran away but since then her long-term goal has been to like find her parents again and uh make amends and she did not specify whether the parents were dead or not so there was at one point they go into schrodinger's schrodinger's parents parents. (laughs) yes so like that's a new twist on the whole my parents are dead no it's like are they dead are they alive schrodinger's parents (laughs) (laughs) but i actually use this when the players went into this like supernatural forest and there was this grove full of spirits that were just wandering around bumping into each other just like excuse me Pardon me. And the ranger was like, I'd like to do a perception check just to see if any of them look like they're aggressive or anything. And then she rolled really high. And I, and I, I do this thing where I write little notes instead of saying things out loud, especially if it's a secret, I'll write a little note and then I'll pass it to the player and be like, okay, this is for you. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, had, I had written on the note, you see the spirit of your father wandering around in a circle around a specific tree and passed it, passed it over to her. <laughs> yep. Yeah, the, it's a shame the listeners didn't get to see the dawning look of horror <laughs> on everyone else's face as the story continued and we figured out where it was going. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Room full of oh, writers. Oh, that's brutal. <laughs> I mean, I, I also killed off an entire quarter of one of my players' culture, so I don't really mm-hmm. have much room to speak. I bet you the culture started it. You're I, fine. Oh, man. Okay, okay. Uh self-plug for our podcast we had a guest reno who was my dm and just thinking about plot twists don't be afraid to incorporate dice rolls into plot twists because here's what happened there there was a scenario where i was playing my half-orc druid ollie and her and her people were being attacked by a dragon and reno just picks up percentile dice and he's like okay tell me like high low good or bad 
this will determine whether your people make this out alive or dead. <laughs> and I was like, oh god. Hi. Good. And then he rolls the dice. 100%. Woo. All, of, all of the orcs made it out alive. Scarred, but alive. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah, so don't be afraid to incorporate dice rolls into twists like that. I think uh, I think one thing that I maybe and, and I know Hunter touched on it a little bit. So as GMs, we have the benefit of the big picture, right? Mm -hmm. So we know where the story is headed for the most part. Now players can always surprise us uh, with their actions or their responses. I think one thing that I would really encourage a GM is like don't stress about like putting too many clues in. Like, mm -hmm. oh my God, is this is this so is this too obvious? Like. Are we? It's not. It's not. It really <laughs> is not. Like, it's not. It's not. Like I promise. You, ha you have the benefit of seeing the full puzzle in front of you because you're the one putting it together. Like you, you basically are gonna pull it back apart and throw it down in front of your players, and they're gonna sit there and scratch their head at some of that shit, or literally just be like, "Well, that's dumb. That's not important," and move on. Like, yeah. don't stress over uh, like, "Oh, I, I can only leave them three clues." Because three is the magic number. Like, no. like Give them the benefit yeah. of the doubt. Yeah. And that, that goes for, like, puzzles and stuff, too. Like, mm -hmm. if you make a puzzle, it doesn't have to... Like, your if your wizard has 18 intelligence, your wizard is probably smarter than you are. Like, yeah. like mechanically speaking, they have more neurons. Yeah. So it's okay to make the puzzle be like what sound does a frog make? <laughs> and your wizard is like, I know this from ancient tomes. Like just assume it's a translation or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, that also reminded me, I was talking earlier about like talking with the players about like where the session is going to go or the plot is or the mm -hmm. plot arc and mm -hmm. things. The caveat I forgot to make and I always try to make for the players is this is just the roadmap. If we come up with a better idea halfway through, like I will crumble up my notes and throw them away. I am mm -hmm. fine with that. So don't feel bound to it. This is a thing we can shoot for. But if we, like, decide halfway through, like, no, we're going to kill this guy because it turns out he's Space Dracula or whatever, <laughs> like, run with yeah. it. Like, that's fun. So, like, let that let that structure and guidance and communication help to make the story better, not, like, mm -hmm. bind you yeah. to it. Exactly. Just pull a Toriyama. Pull it out your ass. <laughs> yeah. This isn't even my final form is Space Dracula. <laughs> I love that Space Dracula came full circle. Yes. <laughs> But with that, listeners, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Fourth Leg. Uh, we hope that you learned how to cook a steak. I think that was the, the main message of this episode. Yes, the lesson is cook it well done. Don't use salt or pepper. <laughs> Let the steak speak for itself, you know, in a dry pan. You don't, anyway. don't want to make a mistake. <sighs> Didn't work the second time either. Nick, no. why don't you go ahead and tell us where we can find you on the internet? Yeah, I'll try to go th through this very quick. I am on Twitter at alias58. Most of that is me retweeting podcast things, saying nice things to people, and posting videos while I attempt to taste every type of monster in distribution. That's just a fun side product. Uh, I found three more flavors this weekend, thanks to a friend, so... Uh, more of those coming. 
you can also like I, I'm not really on a lot of other social media. Honestly, you can find me in my podcast discords, uh, various podcasts. Go Tabletop Squadron. You heard me mention the Star Wars actual play. You can find it at any podcatcher. You can find it on Spotify, TabletopSquadron.com. That one's a really fun time, and we are approaching the end of season two. There's a lot of backlog there that you can go through. And also, if you don't like a huge backlog, at various points there is a like a summary of the episodes and seasons so that you can jump in further in. Nice. Um, nice. A night of shreds and patches.com. Same thing. Spotify everywhere. Uh, the discord there is great. Both those discords have a lot of pet photos and food photos. Great communities. <laughs> the main priorities there. And then Orpheus protocol you can find at orpheusprotocol.com. And yeah, if you follow me on Twitter, eventually I'll start talking about that video game I'm making. That That's pretty much it that's me join me and talk to me about monster uh on <laughs> on twitter like that's a thing that i do a lot <laughs> and if my endorsement means anything i'm I'm about to say a few very nice things about tabletop squadron oh uh, no <laughs> <laughs> i, a I experienced a lot of podcast burnout after trying to catch up to critical role from episode one campaign one. Oh, yeah tabletop that'll do it squadron tabletop squadron is the show that got me back into actual play podcasts Aww. So, and I say that completely unironically, and now I talk about APs all the time. Tabletop Squadron, Shrimp and Crits, and Path of Night. You've heard me talk about all three of those at various points throughout this show, and they are my go-to AP podcasts. So go listen to that. Akasap is great as well. I'm not up to date on it, but it's fantastic, uh, everything that I've listened to. I really enjoy dramatic stories, so... <laughs> I'm going to ride the high of those compliments for like the rest of the week. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. I, I mean every word. We're going to have all of the links down in the description as always to both, well, I guess to all of Nick's websites and show Twitters uh, where you can go ahead yeah. and get Discord links. <laughs> There's a lot. Uh, I do a lot of stuff. Uh, That's it's fun, all though. good. We've got a lot. Yeah. We've got 4,000 characters to use in the description and I only use about 500. <laughs> There, we'll get the other 3,500 with projects that I started without, Fantastic. like, thinking about the repercussions. Terrific. <laughs> <laughs> well, a final thank you to all of you listeners. A final thank you to you, Nick. And we'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Fourth Leg. If you enjoyed it, learned something or just think we're neat, be sure to drop a five-star rating on iTunes and on Spotify. While you're there, be sure to catch up on all of our previous content. Who knows, you might just learn something new. Go ahead and follow us on Twitter at The Fourth Leg for links to our personal accounts and updates on the show. If you'd like to get in contact with us or leave us any questions, email thefourthlegpod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. But um, <laughs> the, the point I'm trying to make is that... Hold on. I'm so sorry. Oh, no, you're fine. My audio is My telling me something weird. alarm went off to let us know to feed the dogs one moment. Okay. It's okay. This is the part of the episode where we talk about Hunter and let him hear it when, uh, when he edits it. So it's fine. It's no big deal. Oh, okay. Ah, uh, it wasn't long enough for me to say terrible and or very nice things.